0: Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Gouer coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios. Uh, This is a beautiful day. It's Memorial Day, a day that we think about many people who have sacrificed their lives for our great country. And I feel very strongly about that. My father was in the Army in World War II and fought in some terrible battles uh, in Europe, and uh, he survived it. I know Memorial Day is more about the people that passed away in the service of their country. So um, I wanted to bring that out and make sure it's clear that authentic biochemistry stands behind our veterans. Today I'm going to be uh, talking about obesity and diabetes. Big surprise, right? Um, I've been working on discussion of the immune response related to etiologic agents such as viral infection, bacterial infection, as well as the comorbidities that can associate around um, the, restri- the problems with uh, oxygen delivery, and that general category of syndromes is called a respiratory distress syndrome. And there's both the acute respiratory distress syndrome, or ARDS, or ARDS, uh, and that's the one you hear most often of, and the uh, current virus that is uh, causing this uh, disturbance worldwide, uh, this virus from China, a coronavirus, um, many of its symptomology is associated with acute respiratory distress syndrome, which itself is its own characterized um, disease, or at least pathology. It can be caused by lots of things. So while we were discussing all of this, Over the last several lectures, mostly immune responses, we talked about ketogenesis, uh, which of course has to do with utilization of fatty acids after their oxidation. We talked about energy metabolism. We talked a lot about the immune response um, to um, various biofuel economies and associated changes in fatty acids versus glucose metabolism. And we've been talking a lot about lipids as well. Of course, I'm a lipid biochemist, so I spend a lot of time with that. But it is quite uh, obvious that uh, lipid metabolism is the foundation of human health. And so I don't feel that I'm biased or short-sighted by talking about lipids rather frequently. So that's a long introduction to just tell you today we're going to go, we're going to look at obesity at a general disease level very briefly then we're gonna talk a fair amount more about diabetes. And if I get a chance, either in this 30-minute segment or the one that follows this afternoon, um, I'm gonna talk about a couple of case studies that I used that I wrote for when I was preparing lecture materials for medical school that I worked for. And I think these might be fun for you to hear uh, because it gives you an idea how diagnosis can occur and how misdiagnosis can occur even with a case and with a patient and the history of a patient that you think would be a pretty easy diagnosis. And, of course, it has to do with this discussion of uh, diabetes. So let's get started with the actual lecture. First of all, um, you can find just about any paper published in the last probably 10 years uh, that if you look at the biomedical journals, that probably somewhere around 20 to 30 percent of them are going to have somewhere in either the abstract or the introduction about why they're doing their research in association with the obesity epidemic. Obesity has become a really bad pathology in humans and has really only been that in the last 20 years. Prior to that, humans Because of scarcity of food, because of more exercise, because the kind of jobs that people performed and their lifestyles meant that they exercised more, obesity was very rare. Now it is extremely common. In fact, depending on which reports you look at, uh, last one I looked at was uh, uh, mid-2020. That is just now a couple of weeks ago. Uh, The estimate is that approximately 70% Of Americans um, are at the level of obesity. So that is more than two-thirds Americans uh, are overeating and under-exercising. And so it's a very, very, very dangerous pathology because it establishes a morbidity for people who are obese to become ill with various etiologic agents such as toxins, And of course, infections. So, obesity is an epidemic. If you look at a Nature Reviews paper that was published in Nature Reviews in Gastroenterology and Hepatology, which was just about a year ago in April of 2019, their numbers said that over 2 billion adults worldwide are actually obese. So, with the, with the population of the world somewhere around 7 billion, you get the idea that it's not just a problem in developed countries. But developed countries definitely is much more obesity than very undeveloped countries. So if it isn't enough to tell you that over 2 billion adults are overweight uh, at, at the level of obese um we're starting to look at the fact that children also are becoming increasingly obese uh, nationwide for certain. And we're adding about 40 million kids every five, uh, every, uh, five years or so to that data. Okay, so 40 million children um, it, it, every two to five years are being added to the roles of obesity. And the age of those children is getting lower and lower. It used to be post-adolescence, then it was adolescent, then it was para-adolescence. Now we're looking at children even at the ages of, say, 3 to 8 or 3 to 9 years old, and they also are increasing in the ranks of being obese. There are obvious links to various diseases associated with obesity. Cardiovascular disease is one. Another major disease you see more often in adults, of course, is something called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, or NAFLD. The problem with that disease is that it leads to hepatocellular carcinoma, and so you get a link from obesity to NAFLD to HCC. And HCC is a terminal disease, right? If you lose your liver, unless you get a liver transplant, You're going to die. So obesity is becoming the number one health-related physical abnormality or pathology, if you want to call that. It's dangerously increasing in our children and in the young adult population because of sedentary lifestyle and because of high caloric density food and a lot of eating. What obesity is defined as is not the best, but it's defined as having a body mass index, or BMI, equal to or higher than 30 kilogram per meter squared. So it's a ratio. Um, We've talked a lot in the past how BMI is a decent uh, modal operator for understanding obesity, but it's not certainly a universal one because a person can have a BMI over 30 kilogram per meter squared and not be obese. People that work out a lot, people that have a muscle development can certainly have A BMI 30, 35, 38, even, and be not obese at all. So, really, the true component of obesity has to be some measurement or accounting for visceral fat accumulation. Anyway, when a person does have that BMI or higher and they're obese, they can suffer from metabolic syndrome, which has to do with high blood pressure, um, a lack of glucose utilization, so they become glucose intolerant, a lot of free fatty acid circulation in the blood, the potential for a pre-diabetic state, which of course includes hyperglycemia, high lipidemia, uh, and overall a dyslipidemia, or that is a dysfunction of lipoprotein metabolism. Among among all other things, there's also a series of organ issues in metabolic syndrome. The liver, of course, is one of them, but also the kidney, the heart and the lungs and the central nervous system. So you have metabolic syndrome, then you have type 2 diabetes or T2D. So we'll talk more about that later, but that's the diabetes that is non-insulin dependent. That's the, not the juvenile type diabetes. When I was younger and I was in graduate school and we learned about diseases like this, the type 2 diabetes was rare and the type 1 diabetes was the only one that was really well fleshed out in biochemistry courses or in pathophysiology. And the reason that is because type 1 diabetes, we knew it caused it, we knew it was a damage to the beta cells of the pancreas. It looked like an autoimmune disease. But the problem is that uh, it was basically incurable except with supplemental insulin. So some of you probably know people that are on insulin. Sometimes even with type 2 diabetes, you do get uh, insulin as a prescription. Now, I can go into why that is right now. I'm not going to, but the truly insulin-dependent or ID, insulin-dependent diabetes mellitus, IDDM, is one where their insulin synthesis is no longer functioning correctly. And that's caused by an autoimmune disease to the beta cells of the pancreas where insulin is secreted from in response to circulating glucose as well as circulating fatty acid. So type 2 diabetes has a constellation of associated disorders. One of them is a hyperimmune status that we've talked about many times in the past, this hyperimmune status means that people have a a quicker and more pronounced, robust response to allergens and to potential um, epitopes on proteins that otherwise would not cause an innate immune response. And often that kind of hyperimmunity can lead to uh, the much more, Dangerous autoimmune diseases. So, that's a couple of things about type 2 diabetes. It actually is not a problem with glucose metabolism per se, it's a problem with lipid homeostasis. That's the real, real cause of type 2 diabetes. We've talked about this, as we, meaning I, have talked about this in many, many lectures in this series. Um, I'll be glad to talk about it more if somebody wants to hear just a full lecture on. T2D, I'd be glad to do it for you. Just send, drop me an email or write something uh, on Facebook. The third disease associated with having obesity is non-alcoholic body liver disease that we just talked about. That's NAFLD. So basically what that means is an increase in triacylglycerol accumulation in the hepatic system, in the liver. Uh, that causes a lot of problems with liver uh, mechanisms because Liver is not supposed to store high amounts of lipid. In an an NAFLD patient, they're storing an excessive amount of lipid, and that causes a dysregulation of the liver's normal functioning, which is a very powerful organ controlling overall bioenergetic homeostasis and also at many levels endocrine and paracrine hormone homeostasis. So it's a very dangerous disease because it can lead, as I said, ultimately, if it's not corrected or ameliorated to um, hepatocellular carcinoma. The fourth disease you see a lot with obesity is called non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. That actually is an inflammation of the liver. That's known as NASH. Um, Again, uh, the alcoholic uh, fatty liver disease and the alcoholic steatohepatitis uh, have very similar presentation, but the reason these are called non-alcoholic, these are not induced by the ingestion of excessive ethyl alcohol, ethanol. So that's why they're called non-alcoholic. NASH, of course, means an inflammation of the liver. Again, it's caused steatohepatitis. Steato, of course, stands for lipid. And that means that you have, again, excessive amount of lipid accumulation, but now the liver is beyond just accumulating lipid and now functioning because the cells aren't functioning correctly, the hepatocytes. But now you're starting to get an immune response in the liver, and that's immune cells associated with the hepatic tissue, as well as immune cells infiltrating into the liver proper. Very dangerous and also on the road to hepatocellular carcinoma. Uh, Besides that, uh, obesity is a major risk factor for several common types of cancer. Just about all cancers can be linked to obesity of one form or another. Uh, But the major ones, of course, hepatic cancer, pancreatic breast cancer, prostate cancer, all of those. So these are are just some of the more lethal cancers. And normally, if you have obesity with any of these cancers, um, you can get um, a real reduction in life quality. And often with obesity, especially with severe obesity, People with obesity and any one of these cancers in association as comorbid responses, uh, they may only have between three and five year survival rates. In fact, up to five to 10% of people that are obese that have some of these cancers, that is how much it restricts their um, mortality. Um, so, you also have hepatocellular carcinoma, which I've mentioned at the beginning. It's actually the most common form of liver cancer. And there's a connection, therefore, between obesity and cancer. It's mediated by a state of chronic, low-grade initially, that would be the hepatitis, inflammation in all of the involved tissues. Now, the other major disease that is linked to major cause of mortality in uh, Americans as well as humans across the globe is, of course, cardiovascular disease or CVD. This includes atherosclerosis, and actual cardio uh, and pulmonary diseases and pathologies. All of those are also directly associated with obesity. So, And then there's also a whole host of central nervous system diseases, um, neurodegeneration. We talked a little bit about that, switching uh, in the neuron, going from glucose utilization to fatty acid oxidation, And that being associated with Alzheimer's disease, for example. I talked about that just a couple of lectures ago. So I want you to keep all of that in mind because as as we go on, these are not trivial responses. These are very, very dangerous responses and ones that you are seeing more and more in the population because of this increase in obesity. So there has been a whole interest, a huge interest, excuse me, in looking for ways of getting people to eat less and exercise more. Of course, there are there are plethora and plenum of drugs that are being um, prescribed for people, and also bariatric surgery and other surgical techniques to decrease the, the gross morbid obesity for some people. And, and those have their own complications, both the surgeries and the drugs that are used. Um, the best way to diminish obesity in a, any individual, is for them to lose weight uh, in a healthy way. And that includes by controlling their diet. The total amount of calories in their diet is the number one issue for obesity, obviously. Uh, Carbohydrate being a a worse contributor even than calories coming from lipid. But protein can also uh, increase the gravity of the problem and increase obesity. So high protein intake, doesn't get you off the hook. You can also become obese on a high protein diet. So really, it's, it's a number of kilocalories and the uh, unfortunate associated sedentary lifestyle um, that really induces it. So you have a high fat uh, diet is usually be considered associated with obesity. All and the, although most of these studies are done in mouse models and also previously in rats, uh, human high fat diet. Of course, if you're getting a tremendous amount of calories as a high-fat diet, you're going to get obese because of the calories. But it's less about the lipid content, mole percent of the diet, than it is about total caloric density. Because carbohydrate intake is actually more uh, persuasively associated with obesity than is a high-fat diet. It has to do with feedback regulation of adipogenesis, as long as you're not taking in a lot of calories, and you, of course, you know many of you have heard of the ketogenic diet, which relies on a high load of lipid in the diet. The reason that can work for some people, and the reason that's considered a diet maybe more associated with the evolution of our oliginous system, is because it involves the utilization of depot fat for bioenergetics, in the form of beta oxidation of fatty acids and the synthesis of acetoacetate and beta-hydroxybutyrate, the ketone bodies, which would serve fine as carbon sources for bioenergetics. We've talked about that a lot as well. I'm not going to go into it right now. At any rate, a high caloric, high-density diet associated with really poor exercise regimen will get you obese. Obesity itself is a, a pro and a hyperimmunity status That's going to increase the amount of reactive oxygen because of overloading of the electron transport chain. It's also going to turn on reactive nitrogen synthesis, and that's also going to lead to DNA damage. DNA damage itself is a direct conduit to various pathologies associated with chronic and high mortality diseases like cancers and like the metabolic diseases like diabetes and also the cardiovascular diseases. So obesity uh, causes DNA damage. DNA damage can cause diseases directly, which can be high mortality. Obesity, as I also said, also in association with uh, the corruption or dysregulation of the endocrine system, Um, the potential for some hereditary factors. These have been given a lot of attention. As it turns out, the hereditary that is a genetic predisposition to become obese is probably the least of the problems for obesity. The real problems are high-content uh, sugar in the diet, particularly sucrose from plants. Plants make sucrose, which is a disaccharide of glucose and fructose. So decreasing the amount of sucrose helps, but decreasing the amount of kilocalories will stop. will help you start moving away from an obesogenic state. Uh, because that will then allow your endocrine system to get back into regulation and for lipid metabolism, depot fat to get back into homeostasis. Again, sedentary livestock can be corrected by behavior. Get out and take walks, get out and do physical exercise, and do it every day. Not three days a week, every day. Try to decrease your caloric intake by half. That's usually a good way to start unless you're really on a restricted diet to begin with. Uh, And the next thing to do is increase your exercise at least twofold. If you're doing nothing, that's easy. But even if you're doing regular uh, running or walking or you're going to the gym uh, or you're working out some other way on a treadmill, uh, if you double that effort, double that effort from 45 minutes on a treadmill to an hour and a half, for example, that's a good thing. And that's a good thing all the way, even when you're up into your 60s and 70s. There are other medications that are used, and I talked about those as well. Um, not going to run and spend a lot of time about the pharmacology of that right now because I've done that, again, a great deal in the past. We've talked about the ureas, We've talked about metformin, um, and I've explained those modes of action. I'll do it again in this, in this circuit of lectures, but I really want um, the take-home message here to be decreasing that caloric intake and increasing the exercise regimen to really Uh, uh, lay out a full battle against uh, obesity in yourself and in your loved ones so steady increase in this uh, BMI right, body mass index has become this worldwide, they're calling that a pandemic so pandemics don't just need to be from infectious agents currently estimated to cause more than 100,000 cancer-related deaths per year in the United States. That's right, 100,000 deaths per year just related to obesity-associated cancers. So there are a couple of viruses, the HBV and the HCV. Um, Those infections are considered major risks for hepatocellular carcinoma, and those also occur worldwide. And those have been associated in the past with some vaccinations, although now they they check for that. Uh, Obesity, though, is a risk factor, even with HPV and HCV virus. And along with any other non-viral factors like type 2 diabetes, alcohol use, big problem, a big no-no. You know how I am on that one. Tobacco, again, don't smoke. And even oral contraceptives, because they are impacting on the endocrine system, the estrogen system, can be a negative component to uh, these cancers. Obesity has been implicated in the genesis of insulin resistance, that's type 2 diabetes, uh, and in the NAFLD and in the NASH we talked about, in hepatic fibrosis, and then finally cirrhosis, and that results in further serious complications, including liver failure, Uh, and uh, full-blown hepatocellular carcinoma. So obesity is usually or always, I should say, at some level associated with a chronic, low-grade systemic inflammatory response that involves adipocytes and various immune cells, both from the innate and the acquired immune responses. Hypertrophic adipocytes secrete free fatty acids because of massive amount of lipase activity together with various immune cells, including lymphocytes and leukocytes of various species. They release pro-inflammatory cytokines, which ones? TNF, that's tumor necrosis factor, and then various interleukins. One of the major ones is interleukin-6, but interleukin-1-beta, interleukin-8, interleukin-18, and interleukin-17 are all major players here and there are a series of adipokines we've talked about recently as well and those include things like leptin and adiponectin and if you have a lack of control or if you have a resistance to leptin and adiponectin you're running basically an endocrine associated obesogenic linked disease state okay and so I don't want to underemphasize how important those are so There's an axis of degree of disease progression here, and that's what I want to get into on my next segment. And once that disease progresses, it's a it starts off chronic, the obesity to metabolic disease to cancers to cardiovascular disease, um, and to um, a predisposition to an acute effect of infectious diseases. I mentioned interleukin six. In fact. One of the drugs that's being used right now is a drug that, uh, for the Chinese coronavirus, is a drug that blocks the interleukin-6 receptor, IL-6R, the IL-6 receptor. because interleukin-6 is one of these it's intimately linked with the hyperinflammatory response. And hyperinflammation is actually what causes the lung damage that results in the lack of oxygen, Oxygenated hemoglobin and low oxyhemoglobin being sent to the periphery will ultimately lead to multiple organ failure and death, right? Linked directly to that virus. So there are drugs right now being used in the clinic, in the hospital, that target interleukin 6. And I'm explaining to you that interleukin 6 is one of those pro inflammatory cytokines that is specifically jacked up in obesity. And particularly at the, thinking about the liver axis, which can play a major role here. So just because disease is present in the lungs, the liver is always going to be associated with it. The cardiovascular system is always going to be associated with the heart itself, that is. And, of course, the central nervous system, if nothing else, through the corruption of the endocrine system. right? The HPA axis is something we've been talking about a great deal right? just recently. So I'm going to stop here. And the next time I come on, I'm going to continue with this discussion, and I'm going to give you some studies to to consider. One is with young children, and this is an epigenetic study. Epigenetics plays a major role in uh, pathophysiology, and I'm going to get back into that because I never want to leave that um, without a full measure of discussion. So for right now, this is, again, Memorial Day, the 25th of May, 2020, on a beautiful, slightly rainy afternoon in the Pacific Northwest. This is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry reminding you to donate when you can and saying bye for now.